contracts, intellectual property, labor law, and much more. Make up the, the wonderful world of entertainment law. Let's take a moment and learn about this vast area law. Lights, camera, action. And scene. Hey, 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 everyone. I hope you missed us, but we are glad to be back. Episode 27 of End Scene, an entertainment law podcast. I'm Tony Lee Costas. And I'm Evan Narr. Tony, it's great to be back. I'm a little bit tanner, a little bit more uh, relaxed after my European, Evan Narr's European vacation. Uh, <laughs> Move over, Clark Griswold. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. The only hitch, the only hitch was a five-hour delay when we were flying home from Dublin to New York. That was the only delay. Everything else went totally as planned and unhi- uh, unhitched. That, that's what it was. Un- yeah, I'm pretty sure. Right? Yeah, yeah. If uh, not, we'll make it a word. <laughs> it, it went very well. And a shout out to my fiance for planning a very, very wonderful trip for us. I, of course, did all the entertainment related matters. Uh, and she did a lot of the traveling and lodging. So we had a really great time. How have see, you been? See, I'm good. I was just going to say before I dive into myself, um, I was going to say that this is the beauty of being in a relationship. There's that, you know, it's almost like the equal balance, right? right. So you're you're like the entertainment guy. And, you know, she's she's entertainment based, but it's going to be more of like the traditional like travel excursion. Yeah, exactly. And, and, yeah, I feel like in many ways, Melissa is very much like that. So, you know, it, it's an even flow for sure. Um, but that. I've but I've been good. You know, uh, New York it has been crazy weather wise. So you really didn't miss out on much. Um, but uh, well underway this semester with entertainment law. So that's been really, really great, um, of course. Uh, the start of the football season, which has been such an exciting one for week one uh, for so many reasons. Uh, great wins by some teams that you didn't expect. I got to tell you that. I don't know if you watched that uh, Thursday night opener between the Lions and Chiefs. I was in London at the time. So, no, I was not able to do Well, that. I got to say, like, that was just probably one of the more exciting football games that I had seen in re- recent history. Obviously, that Aaron Rodgers injury was just fatal. And I just feel so bad for those Jets fans. I know yeah. they... I'm, you know. a, I'm a Patriots fan, and, and you know, I actively, weekly, have rituals rooting for their demise. But I, I but <laughs> truly, I, I respect Aaron Rodgers as a competitor, and I was actually look, I was looking forward to it. I thought it, I wanted to see what he could do. He definitely brought some mustard to that team, and Hard Knocks. I don't know if you actually watched Hard Knocks. I watched a few, a few, uh, a few bits and pieces, like a little bit of episode yeah. one. Like I watched the first two episodes. I didn't watch, I've watched maybe like half of episode three, but I haven't watched Hard Knocks probably since like the Rex Ryan yeah. Hard Knocks episodes. And he, there was just like this, this like ambiance that was brought swagger to the Jets camp. Swagger. Right, exactly. Swagger that he brought. And I mean, it, it felt very contagious and you, you felt like you wanted to root for that team. Even though I'm a Giants fan, like you wanted to see the success of the team, especially with someone like Aaron Rodgers coming to the to the field, but very gutting injury, and you know, obviously uh, something that I think no one should ever have to endure in their lifetime such a, gr- a grave injury like that. But you know, obviously this, it's just week one, a lot a lot more weeks of football to see. But all that to say, it's very exciting nonetheless. I do think he will come back, even though he is thirty nine and rehabbing an Achilles tear is not thrilling. Um, but I think there's just too much potential. Um, Absolutely, we'll see what happens with Zach Wilson. I've, and then unrelatedly, you know, the Patriots, I'm very upset that they lost, but I think they showed a lot of promise. Uh, so I'm very excited to see them prosper. Uh, and the unlike, Giants, unlike, I don't unlike even the know. Giants. 
that that it's as soon as I saw that Daniel Jones fumble, like five minutes into the game, I was like, I turned that I turned that off. I was like, I this is so ridiculous. I think they will turn it around eventually. Brian Dable. Um, I believe in Brian. Da- I, be- I believe in Brian Dable, but I do not believe in Daniel Jones. I said it from day one. Daniel Jones, a matter of opinion, not defamation. Uh, Daniel Jones looks like the the actor that would be hired in the Lifetime movie about Ey Manning. So <laughs> there's that. Oh my god! Now you know how I feel about the man. But <laughs> I'll leave. I'll leave more comments for an unleashed version of End Scene. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Well, anyway. We are glad to be back, and we were so much happened while we were away, and we were we were still sending each other messages and whatnot. Uh, but we did want to share two kind of really interesting and fun stories that happened in the entertainment world uh, with you guys. The first being Taylor Swift and her Eras tour coming to movie theaters to a to a theater near you. Uh, October <laughs> great, 13th. great movie theater voice. Thank you. Uh, October thirteenth, and it. It broke records for pre, um, pre-release ticket sales, surpassing that of Avengers movies. Spider-Man: No Way Home. That was the I think it was the record holder at one point. That's unbelievable. Um, I bought my ticket for October something. But what's interesting about it is that she distributed it, her, the film, to the movie studios, AMC theaters, um, directly and cut, effectively cutting out the middleman. Of, of, of a traditional studio and we will get into how distribution works a little bit of a you know a great topic to to have in your back pocket and know about and then also there's a movie that came out a few years ago called yesterday uh regarding the beatles music we'll go into the plot of that movie but there was a lawsuit involving anna de armis and her lack of scenes in the movie spoiler alert there were no scenes of her <laughs> even though in the trailer it was led to believe consumers were led to believe that she would play a part in the movie. So we will talk about the judge's decision there, a very fun and interesting case. And Oh my God, we didn't even decide what our fun topic would be. Um, you know what, because you were in Greece, what's yeah. your favorite Greek food? How about that? We'll, we'll uh, keep it. We'll keep it on theme with your vacation. I know the exact answer. I didn't even need to think about it. <laughs> so great. And also I will disclaim that Tony's father messaged me on Instagram <laughs> Many a time when I was in Greece, very thrilled because Tony is of Greek heritage and he was unbelievably thrilled. Anthony Iliacostas Sr. Big T. Uh, Big, Big T. T. And he was he was living it. He was living in it, sending me Greek flags, blue hearts. Love this man. He he, he uh, lived vicariously through you in that vacation. I love it. Also, also uh, obviously we'll post this up on social, but it's so convenient that the both of us are paying tribute to Greek culture with our blue shirts blue respectively. Shirts. I mean – we're, we're just we're just vibing with the big T's Greek culture right here, but uh, yeah, really excited for today's episode. But in case you thought I forgot, I definitely didn't forget our legal <laughs> disclaimer. You listen, we're we're like three weeks re- you know removed from having done an episode. I'm I still haven't lost my touch here. So as Let's always, as always, Evan and I are lawyers, but we're not your lawyers. So anything that we say in today's episode is purely our opinion and not representative of our employers in any way, shape, and form. And anything that we say in today's episode is to not be construed as legal advice. Killed it. Didn't lose it. <laughs> didn't lose a step. Didn't miss a beat, baby. <laughs> I love it. All right, let's get into it. So first, let's discuss the Taylor Swift Errors Tour. We've spoken about Taylor Swift ad nauseum. Uh, I don't know if we mentioned this, but perhaps we did. She recently announced her 1989 Taylor's version coming out in late October. I personally believe that is her best album. Couldn't agree uh, more. Absolutely. It has hits like Style, Out of the Woods, 
You Are In Love, Wildest Dreams, Welcome to New York, incredible songs, uh, incredible discography. And um, what's more exciting is that the Eras Tour, which was arguably one of the most iconic tours of any musician ever, breaking record upon record, is coming to a movie theater near you uh, very soon. So in the SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California, where the LA Rams play, I think she performed six different performances there. And over the course of those six performances, there was a recording studio, or not a studio, excuse me, there was a recording crew, rather, um, recording the footage. And SoFi is a beautiful stadium. I've never personally been, but it looks monumentally huge, and there, it's a billion-dollar stadium. Um, and it was packed to the brim, so they are bringing this era's tour to movie theaters. And we mentioned earlier at the top of the episode, broke all kinds of pre-sale records. What's interesting about this, though, is that the distribution aspect of the film, Taylor Swift and her family own the copyright. Well, I don't know if it's copyrighted yet, but they own definitely the footage and the film itself. They are the ones that recorded it. And they, they arguably hired the crew to record it. They went directly to AMC Theaters, Adam Aaron, and I believe it's probably showing at Regal and Cinemark as well, but I know- That's my understanding too, yeah. AMC is the one that is most reported. Um, and they are, they are distributing it to, that, uh, to those theater chains directly. And this is effectively cutting out the middleman. That would be a Universal, a Disney, what have you. So Tony is the expert of this. Actually, he just shared that he taught with me before the podcast that he shared this in his entertainment law class just recently about how film distribution happens. So Tony, why don't you give us a lay of the land there? Yeah, this is uh, to echo what Evan said. I mean, the fact that Taylor Swift cut out the middleman and in effect, her her team, she herself will in effect own the copyright to this. I, I don't think many people understand how insanely important this deal is for a number of reasons. But before we kind of dive into the monumental aspect of a deal of this sort, broadly speaking, how did these film distribution deals go? Let's say let's use Oppenheimer as an example. Produced and distributed by Universal, Universal. Pictures. There, the, you know, even though it's a Christopher Nolan film, Universal owns the copyright to that film. Because they own the copyright, it's their obligation to court suitors. Uh, in this case, movie theater chains to distribute that film, you know, here in the U.S., in Canada, in Asia, Africa, anywhere worldwide where this film could be exhibited. Um, and they and there are deals with the major movie theater chains, with the mom and pop uh, movie theater chains. So we're talking like the AMC's, the Regals, all the way down to maybe like an the Alamo Angelica, Draft House, uh, yeah. the Angelica Theater, right? So, or even like literally a local movie theater that's maybe family run in the middle of Queens, New York. So it covers all bases. Usually, these film distribution deals uh, are structured in the manner where the movie theater will pay a certain amount of dollars to the film studio for the rights to exhibit that film in their theater. In exchange, Obviously, the theater gets the movie uh, gets played in that theater for some certain number of times, has a certain week run. But what also happens as part of this distribution deal is that there's a world, there's a revenue share between the movie theater chain and the uh, film studio. Usually, it could be 50 50, 55 45, where the majority goes to the studio. But either way, every sale of a ticket at the box office gets split. Yep. Some portion goes to the theater, some portion gets uh, it goes to the film studio. So I think that this even highlights how important 
the opening weekend is for a lot of theaters. I, I think a lot of people don't realize how pivotal that opening weekend is because if let's say, let's use actually The Flash as an example. We both saw it at Gotham Planetarium. It was, you know, a good time. I, albeit it was hyped up to be like this epic superhero film. And I think that there were a lot of expectations uh, going into it. But the fact that it only broke, I believe, like $250 million opening weekend, like that's not a good opening weekend, especially because if you compare this to other superhero films, I mean, opening weekend is looking like, you know, somewhere around the $400 million range or $500 million, depending on how how much it grosses worldwide. So, th- th- I mean, that money that comes from opening weekend is split between the studio and the uh, film distributor. So we were mentioning earlier about the- If, if, the, I, if I may, Tony, like- Yeah, yeah. I totally agree with you. And I think what's important is we could use Oppenheimer as an example. Oppenheimer was a success, Flash, not so much. They need to dedicate, the studios need to, or excuse me, the theaters need to dedicate certain time slots in their premium theaters, like the IMAX theater or the Dolby theater, which command a higher ticket price- it was it's twenty eight dollars to see IMAX at AMC Lincoln, and for a standard ticket, it's maybe seventeen ninety nine. We're talking about a ten dollar difference here. So like, yeah. all this to say, if they have an obligation with the studio with with Warner Brothers Discovery, the Flash needs to be on an IMAX premium format screen for two weeks. But totally. then no one's going to see it. That's not good for both sides. Absolutely, absolutely. So I just wanted to add that. And I think that's an important distinction to make because if, I mean, that's specific to IMAX, but even think about like some of the movie offerings that offer a 3D version of the film as well. That also plays a dynamic to all of this. So that's usually how these film distribution deals go down. Again, let's just think about it from a big picture point of view. The fact that pre-sale tickets basically came out to $250 million for this Taylor Swift Eras tour film, that's substantial. That is significant because- Let's assume that that's a 50-50 split, more or less. I mean, that's that's right there, $125 million that goes to AMC. That's $125 million that goes to Taylor Swift's team. Uh, that That's a, a measurable amount of money. That is really, really great stuff right there. I'm trying to find online the total amount. I know it was $26 million in the first day. Which is and insane you, also. That's a lot of so, money. So you're saying two hundred fifty. I, I saw it somewhere around $250 million, unless that was an error on my part. But I'm pretty sure I saw that that was across the board for all the uh, studios. I'm actually going to double check that real fast. Yeah, yeah, please do. But that is very interesting. But yeah, I definitely saw $26 million. So $250 is definitely not out of the out of the thought process. Actually, you're, you're, you're correct. I'm sorry. that I maybe added, <laughs> added an extra zero. It was $26 million. There for <laughs> for opening, I mean, two hundred fifteen would have been groundbreaking for sure. Twenty six for the first day, for which the first broke, day. Re- which yeah, broke, which all, broke all the records. records. That that broke the Spider Man No Way Home record, which I, think I was about was, to say at two sixty. Like, wow, yeah, yeah, that <laughs> is a lot. <laughs> and interestingly enough, she is only charging nineteen dollars and eighty nine cents, nineteen eighty nine. Such a nice Easter egg right there. <laughs> and 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 so I mean, you 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 factor that into the IMAXs of the world making twenty eight dollars, and her films are probably going to be shown in standard formats. It, it's certainly very, and just goes to show the mass appeal that this film has. Absolutely, um, I did see a statistic that 
3% of the gross, excuse me, not 3%, 43% of the gross from this film will be uh, remaining with the theaters and the remaining 57% will be shared in an undetermined split by the Swift family and AMC. So very, very interesting. And as Tony mentioned, like there, I, I can't even think of an example like this where someone of this caliber of talent being Taylor Swift brought a film to a cinema without having the help of a traditional studio for distribution. But she is, if there's anyone that can do it, it's certainly someone like her. Um, and Tony, you were, you were mentioning before that this is, this reminds you a lot of the hello sunshine deal that, that Reese Witherspoon is involved in. I was mentioning to Tony that this is all really passive income for Taylor. She grossed several billion during the actual tour and actually i think i don't have the exact statistic but it was cited that she really saved the economy for like a lot of different cities they're just the hotels and the tickets and the transportation she really was a savior for a lot of job booster right there yeah it's unbelievable (laughs) um but tony and i want you to to share your thoughts on this about reese witherspoon who has her own company i believe she might have sold a good stake in it or there was some financial backing to hello sunshine recently um what is Hello Sunshine and why does this remind you of what Taylor's doing here? So Hello Sunshine is Reese Witherspoon's company. Uh, you may remember we talked about it a few episodes back with Daisy Jones and the Six, yep. uh, which is a, a Hello Sunshine backed project. Um, but the whole premise of Hello Sunshine is there's a book club. They feature small authors and oftentimes Reese Witherspoon's buy, Reese Witherspoon buys the film rights or TV rights to develop that specific book into a film or TV show, respectively. More times than not, it's always been a TV show. So for example, Little Fires Everywhere was developed into the Hulu series. Uh, um, the, obviously, Daisy Jones and the Six was the book by Taylor Jenkins that was developed also into the Amazon Prime series. So wh- why am I bringing that up? What I was telling Evan before we were recording is that what, what's unique about the Hello Sunshine model is yeah, eventually it does get the backing of like, let's say a distributor or it's worked out where it's distributed to some platform. But at the end of the day, that's that's Reese Witherspoon's company. That is her baby. And she's basically created some type of secondary business, to your point, Evan, passive income, mm-hmm. that is secondary to what her profession is, which is she's an actress and she's been in a lot of movies and she continues to be a part of movies, including projects that are under the guise of Hello Sunshine Productions. I think that this is the exact same thing that's happening right now, right before our eyes. Mm. Taylor Swift has sh- shifted the paradigm when it comes to film distribution by creating a direct-to-consumer model that I am sure that other musicians are following suit. Right now, the only other artist that's engaging in a major tour is Beyonce with her Renaissance tour. I, I, am, would, I would also argue Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran well. too. Yes, yes, absolutely. I am those, sure. are, those are the only three, to my knowledge, that are like, exactly that have scales of like eighty thousand plus. Attendance. Maybe the only maybe the only other one would probably be Drake. But the thing with Drake is that he's in arenas, so he's not yep. in stadiums necessarily. And maybe Bruce Springsteen too. Probably Bruce as well. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm certain that whether we're talking about a Drake or Beyonce or anyone else, those those musicians are pay, basically taking notice, and I am sure that what. Taylor has done is basically empower musicians to adopt this model as well. But there's also a world where if if this kicks off very well, what's not to say that Taylor Swift decides to produce, create her own like de facto production company where she helps other musicians to distribute their concert films 
and have a direct you know pipeline to the Cinemarks, the AMC, the Regals out there to get their film distributed. You don't work with the Hollywood studios. You work with her. She's the film distributor. I mean, this is almost as monumental as when Walt Disney figured out a way to sell uh, Snow White to all the movie theaters across the world when um, in 1938, and it eventually became the single single handedly the most important film in the 20th century when it came to animation and probably cinema worldwide. And I don't want to. I don't want to say that undercutting the the studios is the way to go. There's certainly a lot of benefits. They have the connections. Absolutely, they, they know what to do. You can reach further audiences if you're not someone as big as Taylor. Not, not to mention the merchandising opportunities that a yeah. studio could bring are through the roof. So yeah. obviously, I think that a studio does bring a lot to the table for but sure. But it's it certainly with, with the strikes going on, it does. It is interesting how you can. Not skirt the system, but you know, find other ways of really bringing things. And also, uh, films of of concerts are not a new thing. Absolutely. Taylor has the Reputation tour. The weekend has live at SoFi on on HBO uh, Media. Um, I know. Beyonce, Imagine, Imagine Dragons. I think just came out with their live in Las Vegas. Oh, I think you're right on about that. Yep. yep. Beyonce has one on Netflix. The uh, the um, I'm not sure what the name of the tour was, but the one like a few years ago. Oh, um, I know like, exactly which one you're talking about. Yeah. They, they just um, had a showing of it. Uh, at, oh, Homecoming. 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 Yes. Yes. Um, anyway, so very interesting to think about. And we will see how this how this works out. The next thing we want to talk about is this lawsuit revolving the movie, not revolving, excuse me, involving the movie Yesterday. Yesterday, as you guys know, is a song made popular by the Beatles. Uh, the iconic Ringo Starr, George Harrison, John Lennon, and Paul McCartney. The movie is a very interesting premise. It stars uh, Himesh Patel, as well as Lily James, and also Ed Sheeran. We just mentioned him. Um, And basically, Himesh Patel is kind of like, he's kind of a douchey dude. And Lily James, who is a great actress, by the way, and so is Himesh, um, is madly in love with him. And like she's always been that kind of friend zone kind of gal. And then Himesh, when one biking gets hit by a bus and completely blacks out. And then he wakes up basically in a world where people don't know who the Beatles are. And he has the memory of all of their songs yesterday, Strawberry Fields, Help, you know, all of these ones, Ticket to Ride, whatever. And he kind of capitalizes on this. And sort of makes these his own, his own songs. And Ed Sheeran, who is a master uh, lyricist and songwriter, he could write songs in minutes, actually gets kind of uh, upstaged by Himesh, uh, whose character's name is Jack Malik, where Jack can like write a song, even though it's the Beatles' song. And Ed's like, wow, like I can't even do that. Anyway, why are we talking about this film? In the trailer, there was a scene where uh, Jack Malik, Himesh's character, serenades Anna de Armas. We don't know what her character's name is, and we will explain why that's relevant. Uh, on the James Corden show, like he was sitting on the couch next to her serenade. I believe he sang the titular song yesterday. Yep, I think so. Uh, yeah, and then Anna de Armas like fell in love with him. Like this man has is just quite away with words. And Anna de Armas is, um, you know, for all intents and purposes, a very popular actress. She's a very... Um, She's a model as well. She's like a lot of men and women find her very attractive. And she is definitely a box office draw uh, for a lot of people. So you would assume that 
if you see her in a trailer, she's going to be in the movie. Absolutely. That's common sense. Yeah, absolutely. Not not the case. <laughs> the film, psych? psych. The film actually does not have Anna de Armas in the actual film that was shown in theaters. And there were two individuals that actually brought a lawsuit against the movie studio, <laughs> arguing several different um, allegations here. And I, I have the, the case pulled up here. Let me just read it real quick. A violation of the California unfair competition law a violation of the California false advertising law, unjust enrichment, and a violation of Maryland's Consumer Protection Act. So very, very interesting. And it turns out that the judge dismissed this case. And Tony will go into the factual background as to why that was. Yeah. First off, duh. I'm not surprised by this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I, I think I've said this before on the podcast, but if I haven't, I'll say it here. This is a classic case of how easy it is to buy an index number and file a lawsuit. But just the purchase of an index number does not equate or guarantee that you're going to have a slam dunk win of a case. There are so many factors that go into any cause of action. You have to state your claim. You have to state the law that relates to that claim. You have to state the evidence or at least the allegations that are leading the impetus that lead to that claim coming forth. So – for them to go forth with this lawsuit in California, which, you know, is a very entertainment heavy type of jurisdiction to make some type of alleged misrepresentation argument here. If they're going to make that, they have to come, you know, with like basically with all the evidence of the world showing that. Now, obviously, the only evidence is the trailer and then going on Google Play, trying to buy the movie or watch it, rent it and saying that Ana de Armas is not in that film. These are the only two people in all of the world that watched uh, yesterday that are following this lawsuit. So now it makes you wonder, are all the other people feeling the sense of misrepresentation? And that's essentially the argument here that the judge makes um, in this uh, dispute. So the judge in this case, Judge Stephen Wilson, who actually uh, previously adjudicated another California case that I can't exactly remember which one it was. Um, I definitely know it was um, a very recent one um, that we covered on the podcast. Um, but either way... Judge Wilson basically talks about this whole essence of self-inflicted injuries. He writes in the opinion, in response, defendant contends that plaintiff Wolf, who is the uh, one of the two plaintiffs in this lawsuit, lacks standing uh, to bring a cause of action based on Google search results because his injury is self-inflicted. And then obviously cites a law to the extent that an injury is self-inflicted or due to the plaintiff's own fault, the causal chain is broken and standing will not be established. And then he goes on to say that the defendant points to plaintiff Wolf's second purchase of yesterday was a self-inflicted injury because it is not possible that plaintiff Wolf reasonably relied on any misrepresentation. The court agrees throughout multiple versions of their complaint. Plaintiffs have expressly stated that DeArmas is not and was never in the publicly released version of yesterday. Um, furthermore, plaintiff's second amended complaint which was proposed on May 4, 2022, recognized that some websites listed to Armas as a cast member, even though she was not publicly released, not in a publicly released version of the of the movie. So, I mean, when you have someone like that trying to make this claim and you're just basing it on your own personal experience, you know, the law is not going to look at that necessarily as enough evidence to say that that's a tortious claim. Now, I, I think that there could have been a better claim here if this was a class action lawsuit where all, like a bevy of different uh, you know, moviegoers 
filed this lawsuit in California and say, hey, we went in under the impression that Anita Armas was going to be in yesterday. And then it turns out that she's not. What's the deal? I, I think that that probably would have led to a better argument for maybe some type of public reliance argument and all that. But I think to say that that was some type of injurious cause of action, it, you know, that is such a stretch. I can't see a world where you can claim that that's some type of tort to begin with. So no, I, I, I saw this claim coming. It just doesn't, I'm, I'm glad that this is dismissed. I, I, I agree with you to an extent. I do think there should be some precedent set about false misrepresentation of, of films and whatnot. I, I Again, Ana de Armas' scene was pro- was so minute, and she was not on any of the posters or anything like that. But if you do include a character or an actor like Samuel L. Jackson, for example, and uh, like front and center on the poster, and he's not even in the movie or something, like that's you know that's another story. And his, like his films or his scenes got cut. And, and listen, there's there's creative choices that warrant you know the the deletion of certain film or certain scenes and whatnot um but very interesting about this case and check out the film if you haven't seen it it's a it's a pretty fun film it's really really great and let's wrap this baby up episode 27 uh with our favorite greek food so i was in athens for a day and then santorini in ia uh as a jew i pronounce it oya but uh, (laughs) i I had a very it Oh, oh yeah, that's what I say when I wake up and my knees crack. <laughs> I'm I'm not kidding. I'm um, sure. So we did eat a lot of Greek food. Uh, as the non-Greek, I will go first and let you uh, probably who you probably have a better Greek palate <laughs> than I do. I bury me in tzatziki. Oh my that, god! Yes. Like I'm kidding. I'm not even kidding. Rachel and I ordered at least five different helpings at all the different restaurants that we ate at. It's just so fresh when it's like, it's a hot 80 degree day. You got some yogurt, some cucumber, like some like authentic Greek stuff from the Greek cows, you know, going, Opa's you're milking them. Who knows? (laughs) I don't, I don't know what Greek cows sound like, but um, (laughs) either way, tzatziki is fantastic. And we had an incredible time in Santorini eating tzatziki, uh, with some focaccia bread as well. Not to toot my own horn, but I am being a pretty mean tzatziki, so I'm going to have to make you some of mine so I can okay, get your opinion do. on that. Obviously, it's not going to be the gold standard of Greece, but it, it's good tzatziki. As well, good your, as your, father is a, your father is a chef. It has to be in your blood at some, in some uh, Somehow, somehow, right? <laughs> exactly. Big, big T, we love you. We love you, Big T. Yeah, he actually, um, he DM'd me during this call. <laughs> really? The man, 43 minutes ago, he, he, he sends me reels. I love him. I love him. What, what's your um, favorite? So it's a dish that I think is not as widely known to a lot of people, but it's a, a Greek favorite. Um, I'm going to go with pasticio. So pasticio is basically Greek lasagna. And Google, you can, you, it. yeah, it's, it's delicious. So it's basically kind of like it, you could use rigatoni. You could use any sort of round noodle. But it, oh, it instead of good. like using lasagna sheets, right? Isn't it great? You, instead of using like lasagna sheets, you use like round noodles. And then it's basically very simple. Ground beef with – that's like in a tomato sauce, like a bolognese sauce. But if, you know, obviously if you're like vegetarian, you could use like a veggie alternative or, yeah. you know, like a meat-free alternative. And But the secret is actually the bechamel sauce. So traditionally, true lasagna, at least in Italy, doesn't use cheese. They actually use a bechamel sauce. 
that's the OG way to have lasagna. Thank God that nobody has messed up the Greek pasticcio recipe to add like cheese to it because bechamel is exactly what binds the entire dish together. And especially when you take it out of the oven, that bechamel on top is like all nice and burnt and brown and it's all crispy. It's so decadent and so rich. It is quite literally my favorite comfort food of all the Greek comfort foods out there. I mean, like I, I could have I could have that easily anytime I'm at a Greek restaurant. So hands down, pasticcio is my favorite. And for those of you that are going to Google it, because I definitely did, it's it's spelled P-A-S-T-I-T-S-I-O. Pasticcio. Pasticcio. Uh, love that. Love that. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 27 of NCN Entertainment Law Podcast. We're recording virtually uh, today on Riverside, but I'm sure we'll be together in person sometime soon. Uh, big shout out to my cousin, Hunter Zarin, for the theme music. And you know what, Tony? I'm gonna take it away this time. I'm not, nice. Let's see, let's see if I can <laughs> see if I can live up to your standard. Uh, of course, we want to thank our friends at PNT Knitwear at 180 Orchard Street in the Lower East Side. I uh, haven't been there in a in a hot minute, but we of course always so thankful um, for their open arms whenever we uh, ask to reserve the studio. We also want to thank you guys, the listeners, for listening to us every week. And sorry that we were gone for a little bit. Um, and I think that's it. Oh, you can follow us on social media at NSCENEPOD on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. And on Shake, S-H-A-Y-K, enter in the code ENDSCENE when prompted to join uh, the application on the Apple Store, only available on iPhones. Did I capture everything? You captured all of it. Do you want oh, me to oh. say the last line? I got it. I got it. And until next time. And see. <laughs> Love it.